Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary, Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include agency guarantee fees, my interview with Jay Beidel at Polonsky Beidel Green on the ruling that the funding structure of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is unconstitutional and its potential impact on the industry, and what retail sales surprising to the upside did for mortgage rates. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, MCT, and its investor services, which helps investors scale their seller base, automate the bid process, source whole loan and flow co-issue production, automate AOTs, and analyze performance all in a cost-effective manner. The release yesterday of FHFA's report on agency guarantee fees prompted some discussion among mortgage folks about how challenging things have become, especially with rates and pricing. Sure, there are opportunities, but things are tough. Do you think you're good at your job, finding borrowers, processing loans, drawing docs, selling the loans, whatever? Despite millions of millennials needing affordable housing, many builders think things are tough. The NAHB Housing Market Index hit 33 in November. What does that mean? Builder confidence in the market for newly built single-family homes posted its 11th straight monthly decline in November, dropping 5 points to 33. According to the National Association of Home Builders slash Wells Fargo Housing Market Index released yesterday. This is the lowest confidence reading since June 2012, with the exception of the onset of the pandemic in the spring of 2020. Ouch. The United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit recently ruled that the funding structure of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is unconstitutional. So for today's interview, I wanted to have Jay Beidel, principal at mortgage lending law firm Polensky Beidel Green, to talk about this. He noted that if the Fifth Circuit's ruling stands, it could open the floodgates to vacate all rules made by the CFPB since its inception and throw the mortgage lending industry into regulatory chaos. So the the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit has ruled that the funding structure of the CFPB is unconstitutional. Could you give our listeners a little more background on uh, what was going on with the legal system there? Well, what happened was in the case is that the uh, CFPB promulgated uh, a rule that they uh, referred to as the payday lending rule uh, in which they uh, restricted creditors who have um, automatic debit rights uh, with respect to one of their uh, uh, debtors, that it, 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 it restricted the rule, restricted their ability to charge the account after uh, two tries where there was insufficient funds. Uh, so that was what the rule that was promulgated provided. And the uh, Community Financial Services Association of America uh, and the Consumer Service Alliance of Texas as plaintiffs brought suit challenging that particular rule. And they challenged the rule on a number of different points, uh, all of which the, the appellate court decided were not adequate grounds to vacate the rule. The last uh, item that they raised or that the court addressed was the fact that the uh, funding 
arrangement for the uh, uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau uh, was not being funded by Congress, and rather it was independent and it was getting funding from the Federal Reserve. And the, the provisions were, as I understand it from reading the case, that the uh, if the CFPB went to the Federal Reserve and said we want we need money, that the, the Federal Reserve is obligated to pay it to them as long as the amount they were requesting was not more than twelve percent of the Fed's uh, reserves. So it, there was no kind of ch checks and balances from the vantage point of that funding in the in the eyes of the appellate court, uh, and the court pro pointed out that that's unconstitutional in that uh, the whole purpose of checks and balances and having Congress approve funding was to uh, enable Congress to uh, kind of rein in, if you will, uh, uh, actions by agencies, federal federal government agencies. So that was the, the, the check against uh, their exercise of power. So when the, the uh, appellate court concluded that the Bureau's funding was unconstitutional, the court then said that uh, because it was unconstitutional, the Bureau lacked any means to promulgate the rule. Uh, they, they in, in fact, the, uh, the, the uh, CFPB in promulgating the rule, uh, did all the things they they were supposed to do. They published it, uh, requested comment comments, and so forth. So they went through the procedural steps that are normally required for them to promulgate a rule. They did all that, but the uh, uh, court of the, the court of civil appeals held that because they didn't have funding, constitutional funding, they really couldn't take those steps, and therefore. The court said that the the they were out of line in promulgating that rule, and the court vacated the uh, the the payday lending rule that was being challenged. So the the appellate court did not say that everything the CFPB's done was void. They didn't address any other action of the CFPB other than this one particular rule in question. And the, the effect of their actual ruling was they vacated the rule in question. But the, the further effect of that is it raises the question for another lawsuit uh, that if the funding was, was unconstitutional and they couldn't promulgate the payday rule, then funding's been unconstitutional since day one. And every other rule that they promulgated is subject to attack. So that's what kind of occurred in the effect of the, the court's ruling. Uh, this is a, a federal appellate court. It's a, the Fifth Circuit. Uh, and it only is, is binding upon federal courts in the Fifth Circuit. It's not binding upon the other uh, 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 appellate circuit courts, for example, the Ninth Circuit, uh, the Fifth Circuit, the, the, the Fifth Circuit rules one way, 
the Ninth Circuit could rule it opposite. And so uh, it, it's not, you know, the, the end all decision at this point in time, but certainly until it's set aside, uh, it is binding upon anything that, that's that's brought in the in the Fifth Circuit. So moving forward, what what does it mean for the CFPB? And I, I I assume there will be an appeal. I assume I assume so too. Uh, however, uh, if if the CFPB appeals it to the United States Supreme Court, well, first of all, the, the, and I don't think they've done this yet, but there's there's an opportunity. This is was this decision was handed down by a three judge panel, and they have the opportunity to have the full. Uh, Fifth Circuit Court take a look at it and in, in render an opinion. Uh, and, and if they did that, the, the entire court could conceivably say, "No, you're wrong. We, we that's not the right answer." Don't know that that would happen in, in the Fifth Circuit. But uh, if if they appeal it to the United States Supreme Court and the Supreme Court says, "Yeah, you're right," then then that would have an impact nationwide. It wouldn't be restricted to the Fifth Circuit. Right now, this decision is restricted to the Fifth Circuit. So if somebody uh, brings a case in the Ninth Circuit, they may get a totally different answer. So if the CFPB, if they initiate and appeal it to the United States Supreme Court and get an adverse ruling, they're stuck with it. Uh, If they don't appeal it, then they're only having to deal with this issue in the fifth circuit and they don't have to deal with it in the, in the other circuit courts. So I don't know for sure that the CFPB will appeal it. One would think so, but like I said, if they, they do appeal it, then uh, that they'll get a finality of a final ruling. That's going to be applicable nationwide, whether they like that ruling or don't like that ruling. Uh, then the second aspect of it is that a number of years ago, or a few years back, uh, the, 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 the Supreme, United States Supreme Court had another case, and I can't remember the, the style of it, but I want to say it was a PHH case, but I, I could be in error in that. But nevertheless, that case was challenging the, uh, the structure of the CFPB relative to its director. And the way CFPB was structured was that it was, the law was written that the, the law is written that the director could only be removed for cause. And constitutionally, that is not permissible. So they were challenging the CFPB structure based upon that the director uh, could only be removed for cause. And, and they were seeking to kind of uh, pull the card out to, that, 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 that would cause the house of cards to fall completely. And in that case, the Supreme Court uh, ruled that you could, they, they basically kind of read it, read the rule to say, uh, or the statute to say that they can, they can be removed by cause by the president so therefore they said everything's fine we'll just we'll just construe it to mean this and and go, go on down the road so they had the opt it's a different structured court uh, from then to now but still the court had the opportunity back then 
if they were going to, you know, crater the entire CFPB, they had the opportunity to do it then. So I'm not sure today, if this is appealed, that they would uh, come up with a ruling that would destroy the CFPB. Uh, I, I, it just seems to me like that they, they had a chance to do it once and they didn't. One would think that they wouldn't do it this time either. I would think typically they would take some type of make some type of decision uh, that would enable the uh, Congress to re amend the law or restructure it so that the funding of the CFPB is constitutional as opposed to putting an end to the, to the existence of the CFPB by Supreme Court ruling. Yeah, the CFPB has had a tough time in the courts. Are we looking at mortgage lending regulations being vacated here? And if, if so, what's the effect on, on the industry and, and the CFPB? Well, the the... The short answer is my opinion, no. First of all, this decision uh, is, again, only uh, addressing this one rule. So I think if, if somebody wanted to attack the mortgage lending rules uh, prominently, uh, Regulation Z and the TRID amendments that became effective in 2015, uh, if somebody wanted to attack those, I think they would have to bring another case uh, specifically challenging those particular regulations as opposed to this case, which is challenging one regulation. But uh, again, the, 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 uh, uh, in 2015, they implemented the trend amendments that created basically a, a wholesale revision of the forms that lenders, residential mortgage lenders used uh, in their disclosures, they did away with the HUD-1 settlement statement. Uh, they did away with the truth and lending disclosure, and they implemented the uh, uh, loan estimate and the uh, closing disclosure. And as a result of that, the, the uh, residential mortgage lending industry had to revamp all their systems uh, their and, and computer stuff uh, and spent millions of dollars in, in retooling everything so that they could uh, produce the, the documentation and comply with the, the trend amendments. So, and that's been in effect since 2015. So we have uh, about seven years of operating and working with it. So I, I don't see, uh, certainly I don't see anybody that's a, a residential mortgage lender trying to get those rules uh, set aside, because if they did, then probably would be back to the rules that were in effect before that, which would mean they'd have to retool all their systems again and spend millions of dollars to go back. So I don't think anybody that's uh, in the in the lending industry is going to uh, affirmatively try to get it set aside uh, by filing some type of lawsuit. Uh, it is possible that if if somebody is uh, being uh, sanctioned by the CFPB, that they may try to use this as a uh, defense to that and attack the the trend rules. If if CFPB said you didn't do this and or that, and we're going to fine you, you know, uh, half a million dollars or ten million dollars or forty million dollars, they may very well raise this 
case in uh, as their defense that the promulgated rules, you know, should be vacated and they shouldn't be, have to pay any any fines or penalties. Um, but but right now, no, that there's you know there's the the, the uh, mortgage lending rules that you have to abide by. Trid uh, in, or, or CFPB refers to it. No, before you owe. Uh, those right now are are safe. They're not under attack, and I don't think they will be uh, under attack unless another lawsuit is brought specifically challenging those. And I don't think that will be done except by somebody defensively who's looking at some huge fine for for violation of those rules. Uh, I saw a uh, little blurb yesterday that, and, and I wasn't able to follow up on it, but it said that there were uh, three uh, CFPB uh, uh, enforcement uh, actions against some other lenders uh, or creditors. And in, in, in three of those that the, the creditor by defense has filed a motion saying that the uh, whatever rule it was that they were being sanctioned on uh, or the enforcement proceedings pertain to uh, should be vacated based upon this uh, community financial services uh, Fifth Circuit decision. So that's that defensive posture in, in bringing this case as their shield uh, is already apparently starting to, to take place. Yeah, if lenders were made to adhere to the regulations in effect before October 2015, they'd have to spend millions more to implement systems under those prior regulations. How much does the, you know, the the circuit courts of appeals versus the Supreme Court take into account pure constitutionality versus you know, public sentiment when it comes to these things. How are, how are they determining their rulings? I, I don't think the circuit courts are going to take that into consideration too much. I think the uh, United States Supreme Court uh, could very possibly uh, take that into consideration in, in, in arriving at their their decisions, uh, but it's difficult if if clearly the uh, uh, the action was unconstitutional. Uh, I think the United States Supreme Court's going to have a hard time saying no, it isn't. Uh, although there's been you know many times when, in my opinion, <laughs> not not the Supreme Court's opinion, but my opinion that the court has read something in the constitutional. And come up with a, an answer that I would never have believed they could come up with by by reading that provision of, of the Constitution. So I, I guess it's it's possible they could say, well, it's it's you know would would be a bad effect if this was the out, ultimate outcome. So we'll figure out some way to construe the constitutional provision that says, oh yeah, but because of this provision here or that provision there. It's all okay. So uh, I think I think that the the impact of a decision nationwide on the 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 residential mortgage lending and in, in in consumer lending in 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 its entirety, which was could be brought into into question here. Uh, I, I think the court could very well be reluctant to do something that would 
undo all that uh, that's been done since the inception of the CFPB. And uh, I'm not sure how they would do it. Uh, possibly they may uh, say, you know, we're going to find that, that yeah, it's, it's unconstitutional funding, but we're going to hold our uh, decision in advance in some form or fashion uh, and let Congress have an opportunity to fix it uh, rather than just shut it all down by our decision. So uh, I, th I, th I think the Supreme Court could weigh what you're 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 raising um, in their decision and their approach to the ultimate outcome of the case if it gets to them. Uh, but I don't think the circuit courts will. And this might be a tad dramatic way of phrasing it, but you can see how this could devolve towards regulatory chaos. How do those in the industry stay up to date and on, on top of what's going on and, and I guess try and be proactive instead of reactive to a lot of this? Well, I think generally uh, trade associations uh, are, you know, where that is, is accomplished. Uh, there are a lot of services that you can, you know, subscribe to that track uh, things that are being done in the regulatory arena. Uh, so, it, it, and I think most uh, creditors, they have their their various trade associations, uh, national and local, and the, the, one of the major purposes of those associations is to have uh, somebody that tracks all this stuff and, and, and puts out bulletins and informs people not only of, of decisions like this, but also, you know, there's a promulgated rule that's in the works and, you know, be on the lookout for when it's published so you can put, you know, send in your comments and so forth. So I think it's, I think it's going to be the trade associations and the subscription services that, that, that are offered by uh, entrepreneurs uh, that are available to the industry to kind of keep abreast of what's going on. For those listening to this podcast, you know, most most everyone is involved in the mortgage industry one way or another. What are things to keep their eyes on going forward when it comes to the CFPB? In terms of this case, I think it's, again, to, to see what becomes of this case and determine, you know, follow it, it which again, I think that the trade associations are going to have people that that's what their job is to do these type of things. So I think it's uh, just be aware and, and, and keep up with uh, the information and, and bulletins that you get from your trade associations as what's hap what is happening. And that's about, I think, as much as, as they can do. Again, right now for the mortgage lenders, uh, there's not a case pending that's, that's saying that uh, Reg Z or RESPA or the trade amendments to Reg Z are invalid. Uh, the they were all even even this payday rule was adopted in the normal and regular and you know course of of publication comment and so forth. So uh, on the face, you know, of those regulations, uh, they're valid. I mean, until a court says they're not, they are valid, and they're you got to adhere to them and abide by them. So right now, I just don't see uh, there's anything that's going to happen in the near term that would cause uh, residential mortgage lenders to have a problem 
with uh, you know keeping up or, or, or you know the, tomorrow morning they're not going to wake up and say Tridge going away. That's just not going to happen. Certainly not anytime soon, and it may never happen. So I think they should not be panicking or worried. I think they just keep moving forward business as usual uh, uh, until something else occurs, some case that actually is attacking their regulation. The regulations they adhere to, uh, if and when that ever happens. Polonsky Bidal Green is a mortgage lending law firm. What other things are top of mind for your clients right now? What's what's on your desk? The actions by the uh, the Fed in raising uh, prime rates and the impact that has uh, in in influencing residential mortgage lending rates. Uh, higher the mortgage uh, lending rates are, the the less people, less consumers are going to be able to obtain a loan, uh, and it'll also not only is it you know limit the number of people who can qualify for loan because the interest rates are going up. Uh, people drop out of the market as a result of it, but also people who are in the market, uh, the, the the before the rates went up, they could afford you know a, a more expensive house. When you compare you know what what my loan amount is uh, in 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 the interest rate, when the interest rates goes up, they don't qualify for as much loan. And so they can't buy as much house. So the the market has slowed down as a result of the rapid rise in in residential mortgage uh, lending rates in the last you know eight to twelve months. And uh, so I think right now that's I think is is foremost in everybody's mind is the impact of interest rates and the the uh, the, the market share. Agreed. Jay, thank you very much for making the time for me today. Really enjoyed that. Well, Robbie, thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Uh, if I can help you in any way, please let me know. Turning to the bond market and thus interest rates, sometimes rates don't move the way you'd think they would, like yesterday. Despite strong retail sales data surprising to the upside in October, it was up 1.3% month over month and 8.35% year over year. And hawkish comments from at least two Federal Reserve officials, Treasury yields and mortgage rates dropped again to loan officers' delight yesterday. Following the stronger-than-expected October retail sales report, showing that consumer spending continues to hold up fairly well, supported by continued low levels of unemployment, the Atlanta Fed GDP Now model estimate for Q4 real GDP was revised to 4.4% from 4%. There was also friendly import-export price data, though homebuilder sentiment fell again. According to the NHB Housing Market Index, as higher interest rates have significantly weakened demand for new homes. There were a couple Fed speakers Wednesday that recast market expectations that the central bank's strategy of rate hikes is pivoting. San Francisco Fed President Daly stressed that a pause is off the table, and that she thinks a 5% Fed funds rate is a reasonable level where the Fed can hold rates, but that the terminal rate could be as high as 5.25%. Fed Governor Waller did say that the data the past few weeks has made him more comfortable considering stepping down to a half percent or 50 base point hike, looking toward the FOMC's December meeting. But New York Fed President John Williams hurt sentiment after he said the Fed should avoid incorporating financial stability risks into its considerations. Today's economic calendar is packed with data, Fed speakers, and supply. 
We've already received weekly jobless claims in at 222,000 from 225,000 with 1.507 million continuing claims. Philadelphia Fed Manufacturing, which came in down 19.4, a bad reading. And housing starts and building permits in at 1.425 million, up 4.2% for starts with permits at 1.526 million, down slightly. Later this morning brings Freddie Mac's primary mortgage market survey, the Kansas City Fed Composite Index, and a treasury auction of $15 billion of reopened 10-year tips. Scheduled Fed speakers include Atlanta President Bostich, Governor Bowman, Cleveland Fed President Mester, Minneapolis President Kashkari, Governor Jefferson, and Chicago President Evans. We begin the day, the week before Thanksgiving, with agency MBS prices worse a quarter and the 10-year yielding 3.76, after closing yesterday at 3.69%, based on the news this morning. Housing continuing to stumble, but the unemployment picture is strong. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Did you know the first computer dates back to Adam and Eve? It was an apple with limited memory. Just one bite, and then everything crashed. (laughs) Thanks again to this week's podcast sponsor, MCT and its investor services, which helps investors scale their seller base, automate the bid process, source whole loan and flow co-issue production, automate AOTs, and analyze performance all in a cost-effective manner. about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.